Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I am so glad that you are joining us this morning. Now, we are going to hit the ground running with the message, so I need to know that you are with me this morning. You with me? All right, let's get into it. Starting off with this question, where is the safest place to put our trust? Where is the safest place to put our trust? And so I came up with a list of some of the things that came to my mind first. Here it is. Sometimes we can put our trust in our feelings. Sometimes we put our trust in other people, our plans, money, health, government. Everybody's like, I don't trust the government. But... Sometimes we think that the government is the problem, and so the solution is also more government. But there's something very important that is missing from that list, and that is God. And the biggest difference between God and all of those other things is that God never fails. He is perfect in all of his ways. He never gives bad advice, and God can even take care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. And if we look back at that other list, I mean, sometimes our feelings lead us astray. Sometimes other people let us down. Our plans fall through. Money dries up. Our health fades. And I'm not even going to pretend like the government comes through for us. And so I really believe that we are safest when we place our trust in God. Now, this probably isn't a new idea to any of you, but if you're like me, you're probably a visual learner. And sometimes I need to see something just to get it to stick in my memory. And so I have a demonstration for us this morning, and I'm going to need help from somebody. I promise you don't have to do anything super crazy, but do I have any volunteers to come up here and just give me a hand? The pressure's on. Jason, all right. Thanks, Jason. A couple weeks ago, we were playing with fire. This morning, we are playing with water. So here's what I need. I'm going to set this baggie of water on the ground, which I know is pretty risky. Well, Jason, can you hold this bag over top of the trash can? This bag represents all of the places that we could put our trust, like our feelings, our plans, in money, in health, in the government. And this water here represents our trust. So I'm going to put our trust in all of these things that we had on the first list. And as you can see, it holds the water, mostly. Yeah, not all the way. All right, Jason, you can go ahead and set that one down. But this plastic bag here, hold it by the top, please, represents God. And as you can see, our trust is pretty safe with God. Now, you could also be thinking, hey, wait a minute. Even when we put our trust in God, hard things still happen in life. It doesn't mean that there's a cakewalk. It doesn't mean that God just keeps anything bad from happening to us. And so each one of these pencils represents a trial or a challenge in our life. Maybe, make sure it's over the trash can. (laughs) Maybe it's financial challenges. Or maybe it's tension in relationships. 
These were a lot sharper in the first, <laughs> in the first service. <laughs> uh, it could be things at work are pretty tough. Things in your job. And as you can see, our trust is safe in God. All right, thanks, Jason. <laughs> Sorry about the mess on your pants. It's a little embarrassing. <clears throat> so, oops, glad that was empty. So that's just a visual reminder that we can place our trust in God and that we are the safest when we do that. Now, trusting in God is not a new idea for you, especially if you've spent some time around church. You probably hear all the time, just trust God more. You've probably gotten that advice from somebody. Or whenever I'm in a Bible study and we read through a passage in the Bible and talk about how that's going to change our lives, the thing that I hear the most is, I just need to trust God more. So we talk about it. But trusting God is a pretty big idea, and since it's such a big idea, it can get a little bit fuzzy sometimes on what it really looks like to trust God. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at two aspects of trusting God modeled in the life of David. And for the last few weeks, we have been in this series called Tale of Three Kings, and we're looking at some of the kings who ruled over Israel and learning from their lives some of the things that they did well and some of the things that they didn't do so well. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the life of King Saul. And Saul was a good example of a bad example. He did not do a lot of things right, especially when God gave him some very specific instructions and he disobeyed God. And as a consequence of his disobedience, God told him that his time as king would be cut short and none of his descendants would ever rule over Israel. Instead, God was going to raise up a new king to replace King Saul. And this man that God chose to replace Saul as king was David. And David was just a shepherd boy when he was chosen to be king. And even after he was chosen by God, he just continued on as a shepherd boy. And later he got a position in King Saul's palace and he was playing music for Saul. And then he became a warrior in King Saul's army. And then he became a commander over King Saul's armies. And God was just making David successful in everything that he was doing. And as David was successful, he was growing in influence and power. And meanwhile, King Saul was losing influence and power, and he could see that David was on his way to become the next king over Israel. And he didn't like that one bit. He did not want to give up his kingdom. And so he tried to kill David, not just once, but twice. And the, the part of the story that we'll be in this morning is where David, he isn't taking care of sheep anymore. He's not even commanding over Saul's armies Instead, David is on the run for his life. He's got a band of like 600 men with him, and Saul is chasing him down with an entire army, trying to catch David and end his life so that he would not become king over Israel. So if you'd like to follow along with me, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And... Let's get right into it in verse 1. It says, When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 
But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Now, if you are running for your life, you probably have your fair share of problems and challenges in your life. Now, here's David running away from Saul, and he hears word that this Israelite city called Keilah is under attack by the Philistines. The Philistines just want to go in, attack the people, and take all the goods. And can you imagine being in David's shoes here? Like, how would you respond if you yourself are running for your life and you hear that somebody else needs help? I think I would be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Those poor people in Kilo, I really wish that I could help. But as you can see, I'm a little bit tied up right now. I'm just kind of running for my life. But David doesn't just brush this off. And he also doesn't just charge headlong into battle with the Philistines. Instead, David goes to God and asks God for direction. He's like, should I come to the defense of the people of Keilah? And God says, yes, go fight the Philistines. And I just imagine David hearing this from God and then going up to his band of 600 guys. He's like, all right, guys, I know we've been keeping up a pretty fast pace lately. And I know it's been pretty tough running for our lives. But our plans have changed a little bit. These people need our help, so let's go defend the city of Keilah. I don't think David's men wanted to hear that. They probably had objections like, hang on. If we sidetrack our plans and go to defend this city, that might be what Saul needs just to catch up to us. Or if we go to the aid of these people, they could just turn around and stab us in the back. Maybe they'll be like, Saul, come here. Here's David and his men, and then we'll be busted. Or if we lose more of our men fighting against the Philistines, then we're just going to be even more outnumbered by Saul and his army. And so they probably asked David, like, David, can you just ask God one more time and see if God will change his mind? Because at this point, if they were to just not go fight this battle, it would be disobedience to God because God told them to do it. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 4. It says, Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. And so David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. So God did not change his answer for David when when David went to him a second time. But at least this time, God gave David and his men the promise that he would fight with them and that they would have victory over the Philistines. And so even though David and his men were afraid, they still followed through on what God told them to do. Now, I can't help but notice a parallel between this situation and a situation that King Saul was in several years earlier. This is a situation that we talked about a few weeks ago. But even if you were here that Sunday, I'll give you a quick refresher. So during Saul's reign as king, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Philistines were gathering together their army, and they had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariot riders, and lots and lots of foot soldiers. And meanwhile, Saul is trying to get together his army, and when the Israelites see that they are way outnumbered, 
Nobody wants to be in Saul's army. People are deserting the army. And so his army shrinks down to 600 men. That's 600 against 6,000 plus. And so Saul's in this situation. And God had also given him some very specific instructions. God told Saul that he was not to sacrifice to God until the prophet Samuel came to meet up with him. And so Saul is waiting for Samuel to meet up with him before offering the sacrifice to God. But Saul believed that if he could just offer this sacrifice to God, then he would know that he would have the favor of God. And he wanted his men to know that they had the favor of God because as time was going on and they were getting outnumbered, they didn't want to stick around in Saul's army. And so what does Saul do? Does he give in to his fear and the fear of his men and offer this sacrifice to God so that he can have God's favor in battle? Or does he obey God's instructions for his life and just push through his fear to do what is right? And Saul gave in to his fear and disobeyed God. And it was this act of disobedience that cost him his kingdom. Now compare that to the situation that David is in. David is running for his life. His men admit that they are scared to be anywhere in Saul's kingdom. And they're like, we're scared to be here. I don't want to go deeper into Saul's kingdom and get tangled up in this battle with the Philistines. But David and his men push through their fear to do what God had called them to do. And this is courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in the face of fear. And David trusted God enough to have courage. And so I think the lesson for us is trusting God means choosing courage over fear. Now, God might not talk to us the way that he talked to David. God doesn't talk out loud to us or communicate in some of those ways. But everything that we need to know from God is right here in the Bible. And God tells us how to live our lives. God isn't asking us to go to battle with anyone. But the Bible is still full of instructions for Christians. And so I just came up with a list of some of the things that the Bible says that if we're honest, it's pretty scary. Even where Jesus says, do not worry, we can think to ourselves, all right, worrying, it's not that scary. It's easy to say that when life is going pretty smooth for you. But when you are in that situation where something is on your mind and you're worried about tomorrow, you might not even be calling it worry. Maybe you're just calling it concern or planning ahead. And it's so hard to just put those thoughts aside and trust God that you don't have to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Or even loving your enemies. It's a lot easier to love people who are easy to be loved but I'm sure we could all think of that one person, probably more than one person, who is really hard to love. Maybe it's just the way they are. Maybe they rub you and everybody else the wrong way. Maybe they've done something to you to mistreat you. And it is so hard to love them the way that Jesus would love them. Or forgiving people who don't deserve to be forgiven. Or confronting people who sin against you. This might be one of the hardest ones. Whenever somebody sins against me, usually my first reaction is to talk to somebody else about it. It can be so easy to just be like, hey, can you, do you hear what this person did to me? Or to just 
ignore talking to that person who wronged you altogether and avoid that confrontation. But what Jesus instructs the church to do when somebody sins against you is to confront that person one-on-one. And if that person doesn't have the right heart space to see that they were in the wrong and do something about it, then the process is to bring in somebody else. And that whole purpose is to tell somebody that what they did was wrong and get them to the point where they recognize they're wrong and change and become more like Jesus. But that is hard to do sometimes. And we say here at Bridgewater all the time that everybody has a next step. And maybe your next step isn't something that's listed up here on the screen. But you can think about that and you know what God wants you to do. But what's holding you back from doing that is just fear. None of us would say that we know better than God, but sometimes fear just creeps into our life and it kind of tells us like, oh, if you do what God tells you to do, then X, Y, and Z could happen. And we're like, oh, I don't want X, Y, and Z to happen. Maybe, maybe I'm better off not doing what God told me to do here. And so sometimes this fear holds us back from doing what God has called us to do. And so we can put into practice our trust in God when we choose courage over fear. And even though it is scary, we are the safest when we put our trust in God and live in courage. And so this is the first aspect for this morning about trusting God. And we're going to fast forward now to chapter 24 and take a look at this second aspect of trusting in God. At this point in the story, David and his men are no longer in Keilah. They are now in this land called Engedi. Engedi was kind of like an oasis in the middle of the wilderness. And I had the privilege of visiting Engedi when I was in Israel a few years ago. And I actually took this picture myself. And I've been super stoked to preach on this passage just so I can use this picture. But as you can see up there, there's some caves in the cliff. And I don't know if those were the exact caves that David and his men were hiding in, but David and his men were hiding in caves in this area. And meanwhile, Saul is hunting after David with an army of 3,000 men, and he's in this general area. And along the, during the day, while Saul is hunting for David, he has to use the bathroom. And back in biblical days, I don't think that porta-potties were a thing. So I don't think that Saul had any options like this. And you can imagine, the king of all people is entitled to a little bit of privacy while doing business, right? And so Saul goes into a cave to do his business. And I don't think going into a cave is like the number one best option for going to the bathroom. But it is a solid number two. Yep. <laughs> so, so Saul is in this cave. He's literally in the most vulnerable position possible. And little does he know that David and his band of men are in the back of this cave. And David's men are like, look, there's Saul. David, here is your chance to get back at him. God has just delivered him into your hands. It doesn't get any easier than that. And so David creeps up to King Saul and he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe and then goes back into the cave where his men are. And he tells his men, no, I can't kill Saul. He was chosen by God to be king. I can't kill God's king. 
Even though Saul was an awful king, even though Saul was trying to kill David, David still respected his position as king. And so then Saul leaves the cave, and David comes after him. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 8 here. It says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why are you bent? Ah, I lost my spot here. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers comes evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. And may he be vindicated. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Here, David had the perfect opportunity to take justice into his own hands. He could get back at Saul for Saul chasing him down and trying to kill him. And if Saul was in the position that David was in, Saul almost definitely would have tried to take David's life. But David respected that Saul was still the king. And David, instead of getting back at Saul, showed Saul mercy and let God be the judge of Saul's sin instead of punishing Saul for the wrong that had been done to him. And this is mercy. And this is the lesson for us this morning is that trusting God means choosing mercy over judgment. It means not giving somebody the punishment that they deserve and leaving that punishment in the hands of God. Now maybe you're thinking, hang on, wait a minute. If I show somebody mercy who has hurt me, then maybe they'll get the idea that what they did to me wasn't wrong. Maybe they'll feel like they have permission to just walk all over me or hurt me again. But I don't think that showing somebody mercy means that we shouldn't have healthy boundaries in our lives and to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. Even when David came running after Saul out of that cave, he shouted to Saul what we just read here, which leads me to believe that he and Saul were not super close to each other that David left a healthy space there so that Saul couldn't turn around and stab him with the sword or throw a spear at him. And even if somebody has hurt you, you can show them mercy and you can still have healthy boundaries in your life. Maybe that means limiting that person's interaction in your life or blocking some of the negative things that they would be saying to you or things like that. And showing somebody mercy It doesn't mean that you can't confront that person and tell them that what they did 
hurt you. You don't have to sugarcoat the situation. David straight up told Saul that what he did was a sin against him and a sin against God. He told Saul that he was in the wrong. But even though Saul was in the wrong, David says, let the Lord judge between you and me. He's saying that I'm not going to punish you for your sin. I'm going to leave that in the hands of God. And let's go ahead and look at how Saul responds to this in verse 16. It says, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. What we see here is that when David showed mercy to Saul, it kind of broke down the walls of Saul's heart. Saul had the humility to recognize that he was the one in the wrong and that David had showed him kindness and mercy when he just didn't deserve it. And I think this was actually the best way for David to get back at Saul. We see this idea in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12. In verse 17 it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that all of us could think about that one person in our lives who has really wronged us. And we want so badly to get back at them. But what God calls us to do is to trust him with judging that person and to show mercy. And I think that we can withhold judgment and show mercy when we don't just sling back passive-aggressive comments at that person who has wronged us. We can show mercy when we aren't just being petty towards the person who wronged us to make them make their life miserable for hurting us. Being like, eh, I'm going to do this to you. Maybe next time you'll think twice about hurting me. Or giving that person what they, res- what they deserve, repaying evil for evil. God calls us to have mercy and to trust him in doing that. And so this morning, I just want to kind of wrap things up with a little bit of a recap. We're talking about trusting in God, and there's so many aspects of what it looks like to trust in God, but specifically, we can trust in God when we choose courage over fear, and when we do what God has called us to do, even in the face of fear. And we can trust in God when we have mercy over judgment and we leave judgment in the hands of God. And so my challenge for you this morning is to write down that one thing that you know that you should do for God. 
but it's just fear that's holding you back. Maybe it's something we had up there on the screen, some situation in your life where you know you need to do the right thing, but it's just tough. Or maybe you just need to, to write that down and to ask God to give you the strength to follow through on that and invite somebody else into the process. And then lastly, write down the name of one person that you know you need to show mercy. And maybe showing them mercy begins with just going to God in prayer and asking that God would give you a heart that wants to show mercy. <laughs> That's a tough place to start. And pray for the heart of that other person, that God would break down those walls, for them to see that they are in the wrong and come to that place that Saul was at in recognizing wrong and wanting to do something about it. And I believe that God can give us the strength to live this out in our lives. Let's pray. Emily, Father, it is just such a privilege that you would communicate to us through your word in the Bible. And um, God, sometimes I, I take that for granted, to know that the creator of the universe cares enough about me to, to write down how much you love me and to give me instructions for how to live life, uh, both for my good and for your glory. And so God, please help all of us to take that seriously. Um, I'm sure that all of us are going through some kind of hard time or we know the right thing that we should do, and it's just tough. And I'm thankful that we don't have to just pretend like we have it all together, pretend like it's not scary, but God, help us to look to you for courage to push through that and to do what you've called us to do. And please, God, please help us to show mercy to those who have wronged us. You give us the perfect example of mercy when you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we don't have to spend all of eternity in separation from you if we just place our faith in Jesus. And God, we don't want what we really deserve, because what we deserve is separation from you. But when other people wrong us, we want to give them what we think they deserve. And so in those situations, please help us to respond in mercy and help us to trust you with judgment and leave that in your hands. I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.